I, I don't know what, what kind of father I really am, but my son uses the word groovy, so that feels like a win. Uh, you guys know that uh, the top three attended Sundays in America are Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. One of the lowest attended Sundays of the year is Father's Day. So dads, if you're here today and your family is here with you, congratulations. That's a win. We're excited for you. Good job. <laughs> Thanks for being in church on Father's Day. I'm not going to go into all the uh, social implications of why that stat is true, but um, we'll just leave it alone. Uh, I'm excited to continue in this series called Paradox. We've been talking about how um, when we read through scripture and we start to understand our faith, there are things that, that pop up that uh, seem contradictory. And, we, and we, we read this and we read that and we kind of go, those two things do not fit together. And so then, because we're, we're Western-minded people, we start looking for the answer. How do I resolve this tension between these two ideas that seem to be opposing each other? And the problem is the Bible which was written by Eastern people to Eastern people, doesn't seem too concerned about trying to resolve these, these contradictions for us. The Bible seems like okay with holding on to, well, this is true and this is true, even though they don't seem to fit together. We call that a paradox. So last week we talked about belief and doubt and how belief and doubt don't seem like they should go together. Like those seem like opposites. Either you believe or you doubt. But what we've learned is that belief and doubt are both integral parts in the life of, a, of an active, faithful follower of Jesus. And today we're gonna to talk about the nature of Jesus as both fully God and fully human. How is that possible? How can he be 100% both? Doesn't it make more sense to say that he's 50% God and 50% human? Because that equals 100%, right? And in our, our Western minds, we kind of go, there, that doesn't work, so we need to work with these numbers a little bit and make, make this math check out. But he's 100% God and 100% human according to the Bible. How does that work? Uh, the, probably the bigger question for most of us is, who cares? Like, really, like, we know he's Jesus, right? We know he died on the cross for us, that, that he made a way for us to be with God. Why does it matter how it works out, whether, how much God he is and how much human he is? Why does it really matter? So most of us sort of put that kind of theology into a category of, I don't know, that's, it's like calculus, like, who cares, you know? Like, it doesn't really matter. I'm sure it works. It just doesn't really matter. But I think it matters. Here's why I think it matters. Um, you, you know that you need to keep the oil changed in your car regularly, right? You know that you should do that. Some of you, some of you need to start nudging your teenagers right now going, you've you got to keep the oil changed in your car. But if you don't know why you need to keep the oil changed, this is how you'll function because this is how most teenagers or young people function that don't understand why you need to keep your, or maybe even adults. Some of you adults might be convicted by this. You know, this may be what you take away. If you don't understand why you need to keep the oil changed in your car, then when it's inconvenient or doesn't fit your budget, you won't do it. When it's inconvenient or doesn't fit your budget, you just won't, you just won't do it. I don't have time this month, or I don't, I don't really want to use my money that way, or I don't have the money this month, and you, and you won't do it. When you understand why it matters, and this is something that uh, my father taught me, and, and he tried to teach me a lot of things. I had one of those dads that was just good at everything, and, it, and I always kind of felt like I was just like 10 steps behind. But one of the things he tried to teach me was why it matters to change my oil. And so some of the things I remember are over time, the oil kind of breaks down and it begins to lose its power, <laughs> viscosity, I don't know. Uh, and, 
And then uh, it can't do its job, which is to lubricate the moving parts in your engine. You probably know the names of those parts. I don't, doesn't matter to me. Pistons, is that one? There you go. So it's gotta lubricate those parts because if, if they get too hot, then, then they'll, they'll lock up, the engine will break and stop working, right? <laughs> Guys, I'm not really uh, an idiot, but when it comes to cars. So I understand the concept that if I don't keep the oil changed, it does bad things to my engine and, and I'm not taking care of my car that way and it, it could break and die on me, right? When you understand that, now you have a little bit more conviction. So when it's inconvenient, you kind of go, all right, I don't really have time, but this, this has to be done if I'm gonna take care of my car, if, it's, if the engine's gonna work properly and all that stuff that I don't understand. Uh, and you, you have a little more conviction about like, even if it costs me something, it's important enough that I need to take care of it. Now, some of you are gonna, you're like scheduling an oil change right now. Um, I actually, despite the ignorance I just showed, I changed my own oil. I, I did that yesterday, changed my oil in my car. It's one of the few things I can do to a car, put gas in it, change the oil, change the tire, and I'm good. But I, I know the reason why, and so that gives me a little more conviction about doing it when it's inconvenient and costly, okay? Now, here's the connection. We know that we, need, we should trust Jesus, right? Do we agree we should trust Jesus? Audience participation, nod, give me a fist pump, something. Okay, there we go. We know we should try. In fact, if you've, if you've said that you're a Christian, if you've signed up to follow Jesus, one of the things that you've said is Jesus is my Lord. What that means is I have given Jesus control of all of my life, like all of it, like how I think about things like the world around me and politics and social justice and all of that, like he has control of that. Uh, he has control of my relationships, like how I treat the people around me, how I treat the people who like me and people who don't like me. He has control of all that. He has control of my resources. What do I do with my time, my energy, my money? He has control of all of that. That takes an incredible level of trust to give someone control of all of that. So that's, that's what that means, that we trust Jesus. But if we don't understand why we should trust him, then we, when, it, when it is inconvenient or too costly, we won't. We'll live our lives as though Jesus has nothing to do with it. When it's inconvenient or too costly, we just won't trust him. But if we can understand why, the benefits of trusting him, the consequences of not trusting him, now we have some conviction behind it and we'll trust him even when it's inconvenient and even when it's costly and understanding a little bit about the nature of Jesus, that he is both fully God and fully human, helps us understand why we should trust him. This is so important in uh, Christian faith that for the first few hundred years when Christianity really became from like 300 to into the to 500s AD, when Christianity was kind of getting its feet under it about like, what do we believe? The first five councils spent a lot of time talking about the nature of Jesus. Like, who is he really? How do we know what Jesus was as fully God, fully human? So that's what we're gonna dive into today because if, if we're convinced that, that Jesus was fully human, then we believe that he can relate to us. If we're convinced that he's fully God, then we believe that he can elevate us. And if he can relate to us and elevate us, we should trust him with everything. That's kind of where we're going today, just uh, to lay that map out for you. So we're gonna jump into uh, our text. We're gonna start in John 20. Uh, just... Uh, a little announcement. Um, 
there are, we, we're gonna start putting out the scripture uh, text for our, our whole series at the beginning of the series. I'm a couple weeks late on this one, but there is a paper out there in the lobby that has all of the texts for this series. So if you wanted to, if you're kind of like, I wish I could read ahead and know what he's gonna talk about ahead of time, that's out there and you can, you can read the scripture ahead of time and it can have a running start to this. That's there, just, just so you know. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 31, we get something really helpful that we don't get in a lot of the other books of the Bible. John tells us exactly why he wrote the book, right? He puts that in there. Don't you wish that that was in like, you know, like a Tale of Two Cities or something like, because would you just tell me what this is about? Why, why did you write this? So John put this in here at the end of his gospel. Here's what he says about why he wrote it. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says, I wrote this whole gospel, all these stories about Jesus. I recorded the things he said, and I'm sharing it with you so that you will believe that he is the Christ, the son of God. Now, those two uh, titles for Jesus are significant here. I think we just kind of look at them as like the, the Bible writers being creative with how they say the name Jesus. It gets boring to say Jesus all the time, so let's, let's use some other names for him. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. No, these titles are very significant. The Christ means Messiah. Messiah was the Jewish um, prophecy that, that a human being was going to come along at some point and restore the nation of Israel, they set them free from their oppressors, establish the nation of Israel as a powerful nation again, and the Messiah was the one, the human being that was going to do that. He was going to be a king like David. David was a military leader, a political leader, and a spiritual leader. And the Messiah was going to be all of that wrapped up into one person. So they believe the Messiah is human. Son of God means son of God. Son of God means divine. One of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. The Son is fully God. We take it for granted that the Messiah is the Son of God, that this human being who came to um, set us free from our oppressors, although the oppressors are different than what the Jews thought, that, that the Messiah is the Son of God, but the Jews don't, do not take this uh, for granted. In fact, uh, the Jews at the time of Jesus and even today do not believe that the Messiah is divine. They believe the Messiah is a human being that God will use to set his people free. They, they never really thought the Messiah was gonna be the son of God. So when, when John says, I wrote all of this so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the human being that God is gonna use to set his people free, and he's the son of God, this was new information to people of faith. They didn't, they didn't know that, that these two things were gonna come together. In fact, in their minds, those two things don't go together, even for them that the Messiah is the Son of God. So this is really important theology that John is laying out here. Mark says it at the beginning of his gospel. Mark 1.1 says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew says it. When Peter gives his good confession, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Those two things are being put together for the first time in, in the story of our faith. And it's significant that um, the Bible writers want us to know Jesus is fully God and fully human. So, um, the reason why, let's start with talking about Jesus as fully God. I think the reason why we sometimes struggle to go all in with this reality that Jesus is fully divine is because he does not use his divinity the way that we would, right? If you had God's power, would you uh, ever be poor? No. <laughs> I, I think I could probably 
work it out to not be poor if I had God's power. Would you ever go hungry? I don't mean like it's been five hours since you ate. I mean like it's been weeks since you ate. Would you ever do that if, if you had God's power? Would you ever be thirsty? Would you ever get tired? So I mean like so physically tired that you, you can't take another step, you can't keep your eyes open another minute, but you have to. Would you go through that? If you had God's power, Jesus went through all of those things. He got hungry. He went weeks without food. He got thirsty. He got tired. And, and so we kind of go, well, if, if he really did get hungry and thirsty and tired, maybe he wasn't fully God because he, he's not using his divine power the way that we would. So we kind of go, well, maybe, maybe he wasn't. We also think like, if he was fully God, why didn't he prove it more? Like the God of the Old Testament seems pretty okay with proving who he is on occasion. You remember the 10 plagues when Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And, and he says, you're gonna regret that. And, and God does, I mean, there's these 10 plagues where God is proving himself, proving his authority over the gods of Egypt. And Jesus doesn't do a lot of proving himself. I mean, he does some miracles for sure. But he doesn't go around saying, okay, I'm the son of God and I'm gonna prove it. I know what you're thinking and I don't know what you're thinking and I know what you did last night. He doesn't do that. We kind of think, well, why not? Maybe he couldn't, you know? Maybe he wasn't really divine. Maybe he was just a human being who said some smart things and was really kind to people. Well, what does scripture say? Here's what John says. Remember, John is the guy who wants us to know Jesus is the Christ and the son of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, say it with me, God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He, he's before creation. Like, he is, he is one with God. One of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And we know that John is talking when he says the word, he's talking about Jesus. Here's how Paul describes Jesus to the church in um, uh, Colossae, uh, Colossians 1, 15 and 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Have you ever wished you could just see God? Paul says, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. In fact, Jesus says that uh, in John 14. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul says, he, he is God. In verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus is fully divine. And this is important to us because only a fully divine Jesus can elevate us. Only a fully divine Jesus can elevate us. He can change us. He can shape us. He can make us more than what we are. Do you want to be more than what you are? Do you, do you want to be more patient than you are? Do you want to be more kind than you are today? Do you, do you want to be more generous than you are today? Do you want to be better at relationships than you are today? Some of you are like, please say yes, just, you know. Man, we need to be more. We need, we need to be the people God created us to be, people full of peace and joy and purpose. And Jesus can make us that because he is fully God. He can elevate us. He can shape us and change us into something else. So, all right, maybe he is fully God, but maybe that means he's not fully human. I think we struggle to accept that Jesus is fully human because 
the big, the, you know, the big thing, here's the big headline on this one, he didn't sin. We kind of go like, that's not a human thing, right? Because we sin, we, we make mistakes, we hurt people, we hurt ourselves. And what do we say when we, when we sin or we get caught or we're busted you know, internally or by somebody else? We go, well, I'm only human. Well, if I'm only human and that's my excuse for sinning, then someone who's never sinned, can they really be human? Because surely a human being is gonna mess up at some point. How can Jesus be fully human if he never sinned? It just, he does things that it doesn't make sense to us he should be able to do if he's fully human. And so because of this, we create some distance between us and Jesus that really shouldn't be there. And we, we kind of set him up on this pedestal and say, well, you know, I'm not Jesus. Which, right, we're not. But the reason why we typically say that is because we're making excuses for behaving badly. Well, I'm not Jesus. But when Jesus told his disciples what they were going to do after he uh, left them with this mission, he said, you're gonna do even greater things than me. How is that possible? How can the disciples do greater things than Jesus did if Jesus was fully divine? Because he was also fully human. And it's, it's very likely that Jesus never really played the God card while he was on earth. He never really tapped in to his divinity. He did everything through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he told his disciples, you're gonna have the access to that same power. And not just, not just those 12 guys, but everyone who has given their lives to Christ receives the Holy Spirit. So you and I have access to the same power that Jesus had. The same power to speak boldly in the name of Jesus. The same power to love people sacrificially. We have the same power. And so this separation that we create between us and Jesus because of sin, I think we need to try to break that down a little bit. Here's what, here's, here's what scripture says about um, Jesus as fully human. John, you remember John? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Here's what he says in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He says, the word became flesh. He became a person, a human being. He moved into the neighborhood. He took on this daily grind of human life that you and I experience all the time. And, and sometimes it feels like, man, God, you know, I don't know how God can relate. He, does, he doesn't have to deal with what I deal with. Absolutely he did. He, he, he had to go to work. He had to care for his family. He had to deal with difficult people all the time. He's, he's experienced the same things that we do. And then, and then we get to Hebrews 4.15, which is, I think, I think the one that, that we struggle with. Um, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what we focus on is that yet without sin part, and we go, he can't relate to me. He never sinned. But the whole point of that verse is he can relate to you. He can sympathize with you because he was tempted in every way. What Jesus did 
through temptation is, is more difficult than what we do through temptation. Because you get tempted by something and there's this, you know, some, you know, this desire that's pulling you and pulling you and pulling you and eventually you give in to it. And in that moment where you give in, like the one thing that you get out of that is a break from the temptation, right? <laughs> At least you're not fighting the temptation anymore because you gave in to it. He never gave in. So Jesus never experienced that break from temptation that we get to experience every time we give in. So for him, he understands fully what you deal with. You will never experience temptation as intensely as he did because he never got a break from it. Jesus understands us. Only a fully human can, can relate. Only a fully human Jesus can relate to us. He can relate to our grief. I mean, his, his friend died. He sat down with the sisters and he just cried with them. He can relate to our, our financial stress. Second Corinthians, uh, Paul tells uh, the church there, you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That Jesus chose poverty for our sake. Like who would choose poverty, right? And, and I just want to share this uh, passage. I think this really kind of ties all of this together. Philippians chapter two. Uh, this is, I referenced earlier, we, we believe this was a hymn that the church, the early church sang together, a really powerful hymn about the nature of Jesus. Even, even this early, they, they were thinking about the nature of Jesus. So here's, here's what uh, Paul records for us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there's one phrase that just jumps out of there to me. He emptied himself. He emptied himself of his divinity. He gave up his divine power so that he could experience life just like you and I do. And we think all the time, man, if I could avoid pain, I would avoid it every time. If I could avoid suffering, I would avoid it every time. If I could avoid heartache, I would avoid it every time. If I could avoid financial stress, I would do it every time. And Jesus chose those things, pain and suffering and heartache and financial stress, poverty. He chose those things for us. He emptied himself of all of his rights as the son of God so that he could relate, so that we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us, because he understands what we're going through. And because Jesus is both God and man, he has earned my complete trust. If he really can relate to me and if he really can elevate me, then he has earned my complete trust. Imagine uh, that you, you are walking through the woods and you you fall into a bear trap. A bear trap? I don't know, tiger trap. There's a big hole in the ground, you fall in it, Okay. I didn't think that analogy through very well. So you're stuck down this hole, you can't get out. And somebody comes along and sees you down the hole and says, oh man, that's, that's terrible that you're down in that hole. I wonder what that's like. I wanna, I wanna be able to sympathize with you. So they climb down into the hole with you. And they're like, oh, you're, you know, this is terrible. This, it stinks down here. I, I don't like this. But at least, at least we can relate. We know what each other's going through. And, and that's good, isn't it? It's nice to have somebody who can relate to what you're going through. But then you're kind of looking at them going, you know, I, I kind of wish you had just thrown me a rope. <laughs> like, it's great that you can relate, but if you can't get me out of here, man, this is not that helpful. <laughs> and Jesus does both. He climbs down into the pit with us so he can understand what we're going through. And then he elevates us right out of it. 
And because he can do both, we can trust him completely. Sometimes I think we trust Jesus a little less than we could or should because we're not sure he really gets what we're going through. We're not really sure Jesus has experienced the, the pain or the frustration we experience about being in the world that we live in that's just so full of hatred and injustice and oppression. And I mean, we kind of go, where's Jesus in all of this? He's, he's right there with us. Sometimes we trust him a little less because we're not sure that he can really elevate us. Like we've tried to change and we can't change ourselves. Maybe God can't change us either. Maybe we're stuck just like we are, but he can. In fact, that's his promise to us, to give us peace and joy and purpose. So the challenge for us is to ask ourselves, do I really trust Jesus? Do I trust him to relate to me? Where do you go when you're experiencing pain and brokenness or even victory and celebration? Where do you go? I mean, we go to other people and that's good and right. I mean, that's what this community of believers is for. But do you take it to Jesus? He can absolutely relate to whatever it is that you're going through. You can take it to him and you can know. Like other people may say, I know what you're going through. Do you ever believe him? No, because they're not you. But when you say it to Jesus, he does. He can know what you're going through. Do you trust him to relate? And do you trust him to elevate you? Do you trust Jesus to make you into something better? Do you trust Jesus to help you manage your finances better by seeing what you have through the lens of God's generosity to you? Do you trust Jesus to help, you make, help make you better at relationships as he teaches you to see other people the way God sees other people? Do you trust him with these things? Here's what happens when we trust Jesus completely. We end up doing things that don't make sense if Jesus isn't both fully God and fully human. We end up doing things that the world around us, non-Christians, would look at and go, that was dumb, right? I have a friend uh, who, about 10 years ago, he got connected with some people in Romania through the internet and decided that God wanted these people uh, to know Jesus and that he was the person God was calling to share Christ with them. So he quit his job, his pretty good job, and he moved to Romania uh, with almost no money and lived poor for 10 years and built a church with these young people in Romania. And there were people at the time who were living down in Evansville who were saying, what are you doing? You can't quit this job. How are you gonna provide for your family? What do you, how, I don't think you've thought this through. And the whole time he's going, I trust God. I just trust him. He's called me to this and I trust him. He'll take care of it. And God did. God was faithful. But the people around him thought, this is dumb. I, I've seen this over and over again. People who make decisions that from the outside, when, when Christians forgive somebody, when somebody really hurts you, I mean like really hurts you, and you're able to look at them and go, I forgive you. I let go of the right to hold that against you. The world goes, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't let go. That right is yours. You absolutely have the right to hold that against them. And even to get, even if you can, but through Christ, because we are forgiven, we're able to look at people and go, I forgive you. I let go of the right to hold that against you. And the world goes, that doesn't make any sense. And they're right. Unless Jesus has really forgiven us. And when we do these things that, that other people look at and go, I don't, that doesn't, I, the way that you live just doesn't make any sense to me. We can go, yeah, I, that, that's, that's probably true because I have entrusted all of my decisions to Jesus. He just has control over everything. So I just kind of do whatever he says. 
you know? There's some freedom in that. And there's some kind of craziness in that. And there's some adventure in that. And there's, there's some scary times. And there's some really great celebrations in that. Do you trust him completely? Do you trust him completely? So as we close, I just, I just want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Do, do I trust you completely? Will you pray that with me? God, show me an area in my life where I need to grow in trust for you. Something specific. Would you pray that prayer with me? Because this is not, this is not just about you. I mean, this will absolutely help you. The more you trust God, the more peace, joy, and purpose you will experience in your life. Guaranteed. But also, the more you trust God, the more we are salt and light to a world around us that desperately needs to see that the gospel works. They need to see it. All right, so this is about you. It's about more peace and joy and purpose for you, but it's also about the people around you and what they see when they look at you. So will you pray with me? Father, show me. Show me an area in my life where I need to trust you more. Maybe, maybe there's something I need to let go of I've been holding on to too tightly. Maybe there's something I need to pursue that I've been avoiding. Show me an area where I need to trust you more. Would you pray that prayer with me? God, thank you uh, for Jesus and for his nature as fully human and fully divine. And there are aspects to that that are just beyond us that we don't really understand. Uh, but my prayer is, God, that we would um, dig into it enough to know that Jesus is completely worthy of our trust, that he, he deserves to have control over every part of our lives. And we can trust him with that. God, I pray that you would reveal to me and to my brothers and sisters here this morning how we can grow in our trust. Put something on our hearts, a specific action, a thing that we can do, a step we can take, and help us to see that when we demonstrate trust, we grow in trust. When we live it out, we'll grow. And would you put that on our hearts this morning? so that we as individuals may experience more peace and joy and purpose in our lives, and so that we as a community of believers will be more effective at pointing other people to your great love. Would you do that in us and through us? In Christ's name, amen. This morning as we close, I just uh, wanna invite you to continue to, to keep that prayer on your hearts. If there's a step of faith that you feel like you need to take, you wanna talk through with somebody, um, please reach out to us here or, or find one of our pastors or elders in the, in the hallway. We'd love to talk with you through that. Um, would you stand? We're gonna, we're gonna sing this song about how um, Jesus is worthy of, of all of our praise and just continue to keep this prayer in your heart about how you can trust him more.